0: Welcome to the Love Fly podcast. It's Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach, now for 25 years. And today's guest was also part of that. So, welcome, Ralph Miles. Thanks for that. Should <laughs> you say too much? So Ralph and I worked together years ago, and then we then we had a little bit of a gap, and then we carried on. So, sort of, long story short, Ralph was a friend of Norman Lee's, who's one of the pilot founders that started up the Flying Black Fear with. And Ralph then came along and took over from about 2001, I think. Possibly he started running courses, maybe sooner. I don't know. It was
1: about 2001, yeah. It was very close to 9 11, um, so it's probably, yeah, late 2000.
0: All right, yeah, so, so we'll get into to that. But let's, yeah. so people haven't met you. You may remember Ralph was on uh, as a guest on the plethora of pilots episode 100, which was good fun, that was his uh first appearance on the Love Fly podcast but today is, uh, we've been trying to do this for a while but there's been no wi-fi in, in, in the part of the world that ralph lives in <laughs> well not in his village anyway but he's uh you know he sorted that out and now he's here so ralph tell us a bit about your background and all the rest of it
1: right well looking at those other renowned pilots we saw the other day i think oh, i'm just a lowly guy who's flown airplanes for lots of years but because that that is me, I probably know lots about it and lots more than I ever know. But I started, um, I, I, I joined the Royal, Royal Navy when I was very young. I mean, I was 15 and you, it's almost when people run off to sea, but it, it was all very planned. And I waved goodbye to my mum and dad and went down to the bus stop and a bus into the careers office and they sent me on on my way uh, and it was some eight years later that i, I decided i want to become an officer and, and the best job to do was become a pilot
0: oh hang on a second so you joined the navy as what
1: i joined the navy as a junior assistant cook second class so of course was, yes the obvious was, route yeah <laughs> i was a ship's cook for many years but it's always in my mind that uh, uh, that i wasn't going to stay cooking i always had great ambition to do more and I wanted to become an officer and I, I, I sort of assumed that uh, if you, you joined as a junior then you'd pop out the top as an admiral and it, I was quite shocked when I found this great chasm between the, the rating the junior rating and the officer so I had to jump that chasm and so I, I had to get O levels in those days education qualifications and then um, I had to uh, be recommended, which I didn't find too difficult, and then choose a a specialization. And I chose being a pilot. I want to be an aviator. I I could just about spell it at the time.
0: And the way the the service is, if you hang on a second, I I just find this really interesting because I don't know many pilots that started as chefs. Well, no, Um, there aren't any. (laughs) No, it's really it's a really interesting route. And then you've decided. So, was it ever in your sort of mind to do that or was it just something that occurred no, to you
1: it was in my mind to become a naval officer because when I was a young lad I was a sea scout and I loved everything about the sea sailing boating uh, all the outward bounding stuff mm. and I wanted to go to sea uh, it did help the uh, twin brothers and they were three years older and they joined the navy when they were 15 as well and they were going around the world really enjoying themselves and I thought I want some of that and the, uh, and the only thing that I, I seemed to be able to do and enjoy at the time was cooking and ask anyone at the 15, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know, but I like cooking. Let's do that. <laughs> and so that's how I started. But as soon as I, it's a sort of job that as soon as you think well, I can do this now, and then you realize that when you're cooking, it's, it's always when other people are socializing. So I didn't really have any, any designs on working in a restaurant or doing anything other than production on cookery to keep a ship afloat. And always in the back of my mind is, what am I going to do next? How am I going to progress? But <laughs> big big shock I had was that the first time I went to sea, I got seasick. And that was a bit of a shock. But it was a case of, right, I've got to find a job within the Navy where I, I go on big ships and, and, and don't really have a chance to get seasick. And um, so I didn't want to be a seaman officer. Otherwise, I'd be at sea all the time. And it was uh, one of my bosses at the time suggested aviation. Mm. So... He said, "Well, why don't you have a flight in a helicopter and see what you think?" I thought, "Well, I know what I'm going to think. Let's go do it." <laughs> so uh, we went and did it. Said, "Yep, yeah, I'll do that." And I had to call the qualifications they need. I had the recommends, and I ended up at um, at Dartmouth Royal Naval College to become a naval officer and to learn to fly. That was back in 1976, That's what I will say, shortly before I was born. And and I I did 16 years flying. Helicopters and the Royal Navy, Wessex, Sea King, Gazelle. I served in the Falklands War. I did search and rescue, all sorts of operations at sea. Uh, I was an instructor on the Sea King. So I had a, a fairly good Now oh, I did two, two years display flying as well with helicopters. Mm. And then I, uh, in the final two or three years, I converted back onto fixed wing. And I was training navigate, naval navigators, basically. And then i i left when i was just just short of 40 to look at to pursue a career in commercial aviation
0: so was there was that something was that like your time then was that your service then the, the initial commission
1: was uh, for 16 years from the age of 18 no the 16 years from the age of 21 or less if you started before 21, something like that. And then you had to reapply for an extension of service. And I I, re- I applied, and they took so long to say yes that I'd started looking over the wall, as it were, uh, to see what other pilots were doing. And so all these, uh, all these friends of mine were flying big airplanes, spending many hours at swimming pools in hotels around the world, earning earning lots of money. And I thought, actually, that sounds a good idea. So, uh, And in fact, I did eventually, I, I was selected for extension. But by that time, I'd um, managed to acquire civilian flying licenses. And so I, I left when I was just before 40. Mm. And I had a job with a small airline for a couple of years. And then I landed the job with Virgin Atlantic. So who did
0: you work for before Virgin? I didn't know a that. A small
1: company called Manx Airlines. Oh
0: right. Yes, yes, I do remember you saying that, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. They were they were based on in the Isle of Man although I was based out of Cardiff. And we did domestic routes all over the UK and Ireland and Channel Islands uh, in a Jetstream 41 which is a small propeller driven aircraft straight mm. engine. But modern technology And two years later, Virgin were looking for people with experience on the modern technology, the glass cockpit, as they call it. Yes. And I managed to get myself a job there. And and then I stayed 24 years with the same airline, which is good going for for this day and age, because in the 90s, so many airlines were were going by the wayside. Yes. Virgin seemed to manage all the way through. And so I I retired from Virgin uh, four years ago.
0: Purely on the Airbus?
1: I was Airbus all the way through, yeah.
0: And did you mind which which fleet you went for?
1: Well, uh, when you first joined, basically you just want the job. But um, (laughs) I was quite happy. It was the most modern aircraft at the time. And within Virgin, the the Jumbo tended to go across the states all the time, but the the Airbus went all over the world. Uh, The the routes were just superb. Uh, Not so now, but we were, I had 10 years flying to Australia through Hong Kong shanghai tokyo johannesburg mauritius just all over and on the the other side san francisco los angeles miami uh, vancouver uh, absolutely beautiful places Mm. and i think i got the best that works the 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 airline has contracted considerably in the last couple of years and whether it will expand that far again i don't know yes so yeah so i've I've, I've got a, a host of experience Probably twenty thousand hours flying in all all different environments, different countries, at sea, ashore, all over the place. And it's not until people start picking my brains that I realise that I have got quite a lot of experience. And certainly from twenty odd years of talking to nervous flyers on the on the course, I understand a lot of the the worries and and sort of trepidation that they that they
0: feel. So before you. So before we started working together did you know there's so many nervous flyers out there
1: i had i had no idea although i uh Norman was a good friend of mine we, we did a lot of time in the navy together and we joined virgin at that same time and many times he would tell me about the nervous flyers and and uh, that he was helping them out and i should come and help him and uh, i was quite happy to do that but of course i lived down in the back of somerset coming up to do courses at gatwick it wasn't on my on my list and then of course circumstances change and I thought well okay let's um, let's go and do this and when I started talking to people because I, I was under the impression that, that everyone got on airplane absolutely totally excited and raring to go and couldn't wait mm. to get on a holiday I had no idea that a fair percentage of them were sitting there with white knuckles absolutely scared stiff of what was about to happen
0: Mm. Uh, because
1: that's never been my mindset, my outlook on life. It's always right. let's get it, let's enjoy this, let's get on with it. And um, I mean, sometimes I could be asleep before we even got to the runway because I was just so relaxed about it.
0: When you're a passenger. Both. Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> <This laughs> no, Ralph's humour, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, there were times because we, all the long haul trips, we were flying three, sometimes four pilots. So there were two operating in, in the front seats and two in the jump seats on the flight deck. And certainly coming out of uh, Tokyo a couple of times, I'll be sitting on the jump seat. And uh, there's been a sort of delayed taxi in, and, and I'm just away with the ferries, and I'm and I'm virtually snoring before we get to the runway. <laughs> but I wasn't required to do anything else except be there. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's I, fair enough. I, I think it's good for people to clarify that you were one of the two, one the two backup resting pilots the, that you can all it, switch around.
1: non-operating crew at the time.
0: <laughs> yes, Yeah. So that's just just to clarify. <laughs> so we linked up. From Norman introducing us Mm -hmm. and and you started doing courses with me I think pre-flights so we were doing an aircraft mock-up weren't we and just Mm -hmm. you know which because because for the first five years of running courses I didn't want to put on flights because I just thought it's quite a lot of pressure to put people under Mm-hmm. and we just wanted them to have a good day and not have to worry about all that stuff and just yeah. ask anything and you had quite a unique style i would say
1: <laughs> i had i had a style i I
0: did the Royal navy helicopter
1: flying instructors course which basically put the accent on question technique and ask if you ask questions of an audience they will not fall asleep in front of you you don't talk to them and bore them you say well the next subject is this and uh, and start off with a question so they go oh, so they they think oh one's going to come up, come my way in a minute so they become more alert and by questioning you can find out what people know and mm. i found that worked on the flying uh, without vehicles because it, it uncovered some very big misconceptions about flying uh, people think they know what happens, but, but they don't. And they think they know all of the bits are called, but they don't. They they talk to people down the pub and they're in about air pockets and all these scary things that don't exist. And so by asking them questions, I can get all this out without making it up myself, like saying, oh, yes. I'm going to talk to you about an air pocket. Because that they go, oh, great. But if you can get them to say it, and then ask them what it means, and they don't know. Then I can answer the question, even though they didn't know they'd asked it. Mm. And to me, that that works well. And if anyone come then comes back and, and and says, "Well, why did you ask that?" I said, "Well, I didn't. He did." And then and I'll get two people talking to each other. And I found that worked well as well. And I'd again just manage. It. And I I absolutely revel in in that way of standing in front of a class and managing people talking asking and answering my silly questions but right behind all that i've got one aim all the way through and that's to make them laugh because once i've got them smiling they can't be afraid that's my theory once they're smiling they can't be afraid and i can then start telling them scary stories about flying but make it funny and they will laugh Mm. and and every time they see me even when i'm walking out to the airplane or on the flight when we did go flying they'd smile because I'd made them laugh. And and I I found that was a a great way to manage it.
0: Mm. So, yes, you definitely did that. You had a very, Ralph always had a very interactive style and used to sort of like, you gave out tons of energy You'd be running around the, like the little stage area, throwing questions at people. Who likes engines? How many engines are there? How many pilots are there? And, you know, they'd be like, oh, my God, calm down. I used to wired to a Mars bar, that guy. But, but, he's, uh, but they couldn't fall asleep, would they? They couldn't. No, they didn't dare. Yeah. So you brought tons of energy and lots of enthusiasm. I think that was why people loved what you did. What were you, when you think back on it now, because you did it for years and years and years, didn't yeah. you? Uh, what were the main, what were the biggies that people always were worried about or didn't feel comfortable about? Well, uh, the turbulence
1: was always the one that came up again and again and again. And it's uh, and it's so difficult to explain exactly what it is and what causes it because there are so many things, so many reasons that it's there. But it, it, it's funny because we used to use the, the, the bottle of water, or even the fact that uh, that uh, you don't put lids on cups on airplanes, because even though the airplane might be shaking, it's not enough to spill a cup of water. Mm. Whereas a car on a train, you always put a lid on it because it will be all over you.
0: Yes.
1: And trying to explain that it's not really as bad as you think it is. It's all in your mind. And as soon as we started, I, I wasn't sure about the flights when we first started them, but the second I got on one and saw how people reacted, I thought, this is definitely the way to do it. Get them on the aeroplane and then show them everything we've been talking about. And that was one of them, the, the turbulence. Or even if it, in fact, I used to go, the, the times that I was sitting in the flight deck with a whole crew of nervous flies down the back, I would go cloud hunting to try and fly them through a cloud to tell them we're going to fly through a cloud now and it's going to be bumpy. So they knew it was coming, and in we go to the cloud, and they're all bumping, so there you are, told you so. And they're going, oh, okay, that's what's causing it. It's the cloud, because in a cloud, the air goes a different way. It goes up and down rather than horizontally. So you're bound to get bumps. And I know Richard, who was the other director of the course, he he didn't like me doing that, so he thought I'd scare them too much. But I thought, well, that's what we're trying to do. We've got to take them to a situation that they're, with a happy face on and show that it's it's not going to hurt them at all mm. as long as you don't really scare them but, <laughs> but that was the, the big one was turbulence and also listening to listening to stories of, of other people's experience because no one tells the real story they always exaggerate exaggerate by a factor of about five And if uh, you know if, you, if we, we go into an air pocket after takeoff and we dropped a thousand feet even though we were only at 200 feet above the runway Oh, well that's what the pilot said. And, and and I can explain all these little things why what it says on the altimeter is not actually what may have happened because the altimeter is not a true representation of height it's done with pressure. And if, if you're in turbulence the pressure's probably changing, so the altimeter's probably changing. But that that's that's well there's those main things actually. So
0: what was your your top turbulence tip, would you say? Top turbulence tip. Or tips. So.
1: <laughs> well, it, it all came, up. people say, where where would you sit the turbulence? And I, I think it's always, you've got to be in the centre of the aircraft, because mm-hmm. like anything, if you're at the extremity and the, and the thing's moving, you're going up and down more than anyone else. And I think, and think, right, I'm safe here, and it, it might be uncomfortable, but it's safe. And, and anyone who w- w- was fixating on turbulence... I would say safe as many times as I could so that to keep bringing it up. So the only thing they remember from it is safe. Mm. And there's a good example with David Lando when he was asking, he's doing question technique and talking about things like don't think of a banana. And of course, the first thing you do is think of a banana.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, David um, Lando, for those who didn't know him, he was our psychotherapist that, you, that also started the courses with me back in 97. But yeah, David was the re- did the relax. They used to have, call him the voice of chocolate, didn't they? Because it's yes. very relaxing.
1: I I still have his tapes, and I've still used them recently to get to sleep. I, mm. I, he made me a, a personalised sleep tape to just <laughs> listen to his voice and send you to sleep. And that was all about another thing uh, uh, that would what I could recommend with Virgin when when we had the audio. On the flight, I don't think they have it anymore. You could say, find the flying without fear tape, put that on, and listen to it, and I guarantee it will put you asleep. Yes, if if you're asleep, you can't be, you can't be afraid.
0: Yeah, they've uh, replaced it now. So Virgin's got the Headspace on the flights now so you can then listen in to relaxation i think they do they have got a fear of flying type one as well so there's that's that's all there for people so i think it but it was started with david lando's on board relaxation you know because and people used to love that little channel when they found it
1: yeah well if ever i'm lying awake in the middle of the night or anytime really uh, i think right i to put myself to sleep and i think hello my name's david lando
0: that's a very good impression.
1: <laughs> and I'm going to talk to you.
0: Feels like he's back.
1: Oh my god!
0: That was really, that so was many really shocking.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, those were not. In fact, I uh, when when we when we were doing it in the rig all those years ago before we before we started the flight, uh, we were doing we were in the office for the for the classroom, and then we went down to the rig down below mm. before we went over to whatever the place was called. Crawley D Crawley.
0: Crawley Down, yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Before when we were in the rig in in the in the office or the base, I thought, right, I'm going to listen to, to David's spiel so that I could remember it. And of course, I'd sit there, having having stood in front of the class for an hour and a half, I thought stood it, and within two minutes I was asleep. <laughs> and i, I did it <laughs> three times like, i'm going to stay awake so yeah it up. the next course i bought myself one of these tape recorder dictation yes recorders, just so that i could like i'll happily fall asleep and, and tape it so
0: mm.
1: i got david's voice on tape and i told him that and he said why didn't you ask me i would have made you a cd so he did said so he made me oh, a cd and on, i yeah. have my own cd
0: because <laughs> i was trying to learn his technique just to think I want in case he's you know he's not around for a course or something I thought better and I have to stand in last minute and I went through his cd about three or four times trying to write down what he was saying and never made it through exactly exactly (laughs) And the first
1: thing he says don't don't um, play this tape when you're working machineries or driving a car
0: that's right (laughs) it was he was had amazing what a gift you know it's such a A lovely, uh, relaxing voice, and uh, just an amazing guy. And mm-hmm. so, been very lucky to work with some fantastic people over the over the years. You know, not including yourself, of course, Ralph. Uh, you are always a pain. But yeah, it was, it was a Ralph. Ralph gave. Ralph gave so much. You gave so much time and helped so many people. So the so the turbulence was a biggie. Yeah. Any others that used to come up were kind of like perennial favourites.
1: Oh, there was always the noises. What what caused all really these noises? Explaining the noises. Oh, well, you'll remember me making the noises of the wheels coming down and doors coming out. And <laughs> yeah, so, so
0: Ralph was famous for his uh, aircraft impression. So you'll have to give us some demos now. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: well, trying to explain how the size of a, of a jumbo jet wheel, it's, it's the size of a sort of an adult standing. And that's the wheel. But to when you're off the ground, you've got to get that wheel. And there are 18 of them. You've got to get those wheels in under the wing. But and when they're in there, when they're in the wings, there's a door that closes to, to make sure the airflow is smooth underneath. But that door is closed when we take off and it's got to open. And the wheel goes in there. it's got to close again. And this is all done by hydraulics made difficult because by the time the wheels start coming up, the aircraft's doing nearly 200 miles an hour. Mm. So it, it, there's a lot of force there and there's a lot of noise caused by, caused by these hydraulic motors. So as we come off the ground, very shortly, uh, and because you don't want the wheels down longer than you have to because they create so much drag and stop you accelerating. So as soon as you're off the ground, you, you, you put the gear up, the wheels up, lever goes up, and these great big doors go... <laughs> they don't all stop at the same time (laughs)
0: and
1: then the wheels come up (laughs) and then the doors go (laughs) (laughs) and if you're underneath one of those in the wing it will not only will you hear it you'll feel a bit of a thump underneath as well and immediately you think blimey we've only just taken off and now the airplane's falling apart yes (laughs) and and it can it reverse when you come into land and also when you're coming into land you tend to be going through cloud layers at two or three thousand feet because that's that's where it's going to be normally and uh, so you're going bumping into cloud and then all this noise is going on below you and the difference in noise between the wheels up and the wheels down is considerable so mm-hmm. suddenly you go from this quiet aircraft where the engines the engines throttled back coming in smoothly on the approach and then suddenly <laughs> and the noise of the, the airflow through the wheels emits. It's enough to make anyone scared.
0: So if anyone's you can't see this, but I'm watching Ralph literally turn into a transformer in front of <laughs> my very eyes with with sound, with Dolby sound effects. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. But then on, on on the flight, so
1: occasionally I was on the flight deck, which was great, and I could tell the people what was happening from what I could see out the front. But some of the airplanes we couldn't get on the flight deck, so I would stand with a microphone as crew do look back and talk to them. And um, but I would know, you know, I could hear when the gears going down, so I could say, right, stand by, the gears coming down, and they would hear all these noises, and I would say, told you so, there it is, that's the wheels going down, and now they're locked in place. And then the other thing was flaps and slats. Uh, Everyone, everyone thinks they know what flaps and slats are, but generally they don't. They've got an idea, but they don't, Mm. and they don't know know the noises they make when they come out, because there's lots of depending on what division they are. And if you can look out the window and see it and relate the noise to what's happening and know why it's happening, which is because we've done that in the classroom. Mm. Suddenly it becomes interesting. Even to the most most ardent nervous flyers, they become interested in what's happening. And and so the accent goes off the fear. Some of the some of the times I've I've seen people absolutely white knuckled, eyes tightly closed going down the runway, and the aircraft lifts off and they've opened their eyes and they said, That was amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Told you so. <laughs> yeah, well, because the interesting thing is, is that even though people fly, they fly with previously held beliefs. Mm. And also some of them are shutting their eyes or not you know, refusing to look out the window, but when you become curious about the process, then you move into that rational part of your brain where you're kind of going, oh, like there's there's the slats. The, the slats are at the front, by the way, in case anyone's thing think what that is. And they make the wings bigger and smaller, uh, just like the flaps do at the back. And so you, you, if you haven't seen them and you don't know what they do, you see all these bits moving. And often you can see right through the wing. when you, like Certainly when you're coming into land and you've got those big barn doors up, the air brakes, you know, spoilers. So it, it, people then you can kind of go, All oh, right, this is all normal. It's supposed to do all these things, you know. But, you know, that explanation accompanied by the Ralph Miles noise effects used yeah. to help people well, a lot. Well, uh,
1: you may remember, I would start off by saying, OK, we come off the runway, the wing gets us off the runway at about 150 miles an hour. And what speed do you think we're going to fly when we're up at 30,000 feet? It's somewhere like 500. So we've got to get this aeroplane going from well, we've got enough lift for, to get off the ground at 150, but then we're going to fly it at 500 miles an hour. How are we going to do that? You know, do the wings need to be the same size? And uh, you, you get, a lot of you just don't know. Mm. Well, here's the question then. If you want to fly fast, do you need a small wing or a big wing? And if you're going to fly slow, do you need a big wing or a small wing? And generally they get what I was saying. Well, if you want to fly smaller, you need a bigger wing. Mm. Right. So when we come off the runway, we want a big wing. Uh, but when we're up there we want a small wing so how are we that most of the time we want a small wing how are we going to make it bigger and then the the whole concept of flaps and slats comes in to be they can understand it and see why yeah. the wing is getting bigger and when they're in the airplane they can actually watch it getting bigger and know what's going on mm. the, the big thing is about use simple use simple language it was always a case of if we talk in abbreviations and we talk about ILS and GCAs and all the sort of pilot rubbish that we talk, people don't understand and we lose them straight away. So, I well, I talked in miles an hour all the time because people understood it.
0: They
1: don't know what a knot is, you know? <laughs> and it tended to work. I would sometimes knit n- n- between the two, but, uh, but right from the start, say so if I say knot, I mean miles per hour because that's pretty much what it is. Mm. And it was just getting sort of people to understand the way thing and, and to realize I, I was thought that. I'm just a normal bloke. I had my idea of pilots when I was young, because they were very tall and smart and thought very posh. But I was just mean. And I thought, well, I can do that as well. And it's a a learned skill. It's a bit like riding a bike and swimming. Once you can do it, you can do it. Someone teaches you to do it, and you can do it. Uh, And you can do it for the rest of your life. That's my theory on swimming and bike riding, but I'll come on to that later.
0: And flying a plane, it sounds like. <laughs> flying yes. a plane.
1: The other other thing one thing that a lot of pilots can't do is hover a helicopter. And that is a completely different skill than flying. Mm. Hovering is something you learn separately. And you it's one of these things that you can't do it until you can do it. And the the, the time when your your skill comes, when when you take out the brain out of the equation and, and your hands work from your eyes, not from your brain, that's when you can hover. And once you've done that, you can do it for the rest of your life. Unfortunately, I'll probably probably never do it again, but
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone
1: someone lends me a helicopter. but
0: So, anyway, you I'm could sure. jump in, you could probably jump in a helicopter now and you'd be able to fly it.
1: I know I could. Absolutely you know, you I could. Know I, could. I, I, I stopped flying helicopter anger in 87. I flew one again 10 years later without any practice whatsoever. And this was a really like Royal Navy one. And a, 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 a mate of mine said, Right, off we go. And it was like, Okay, where yeah. we going yeah. yeah, it's just a bit like riding a bike. You don't forget how to ride a bike. Don't jump in the water and think, "Oh, I've forgot how to swim." <laughs> no. It's
0: just,
1: so, it's that sort of skill.
0: So when you think about that, that it's one of those skills that it's amazing. Then that you still have to go through those six monthly simulator testing of your skills when you can do it. You've got it that's in mind. Right.
1: That, that that's right, and that that does that does need an explanation because they're not testing your skill in physically flying the airplane they all know you can fly in the airplane it's to manage the airplane because a, a small airplane pretty much all you do is fly you point it you point and press and land and take off a big airplane with, with um, four engines four generators three hydraulic systems endless amount of, of of technology on board and systems that that have partial failures and complete failures and backup systems it's you have to know how to manage that mm. and also talk to air traffic control navigate and talk to the passengers so there's a lot of coordinating skill going on there and the the, the, the thing that's last on your mind is can i fly the aircraft because you yes. know you can fly the aircraft yes and if if if, if, what, if one of you does the managing and the other one does the flying which is what we do in an emergency then uh, uh, uh try not to overload the chap is who is flying not to distract him then you know he can do it you know mm. just say, right do this and he'll do it so right there's the runway. off you go he can land on it and all the rest is managed by the non-flying pilot
0: yeah i think is that that was quite i remember there's several things i remember about you one of them one was when you used to say that you know one pilot can fly this aircraft absolutely fine Uh, the other pilot is there to to do the to to manage the workload and I think that was always a surprise to people and the other thing is my own story and you may not know this but I remember this you I often tell the story that we used to run one-to-one courses I mean I still do occasionally now but we had a bit more of them in the olden days and Ralph used to be the one-to-one pilot for those courses and so we'd have somebody we we booked an aircraft a simulator I don't even know what you want to say now and we got into the simulator and you said great uh, so who's flying this and uh, my business partner went well you are and you said well I'm not trained on this aircraft and you, you you asked a couple of questions I don't know what you said to the the person running the simulator and then you flew that aircraft yeah. <laughs> like you'd always flown it and I just thought how on earth did you do that? If you flew it.
1: <laughs> I was qualified on Airbus A340, which is a, a four-engine, what, what was it, 300-tonne 300 300 ton aircraft, big airliner. Mm. Uh, and also the 330, which is a, a just a little bit smaller with two engines. But we were on a 320. And the 320 is a, is a, is a tiny, it's, a, it's one of the smallest little airliners that are easy to use to get around the country. It's got two engines and it's got slightly different systems. I mean, I knew I could fly it, but but because there will be some differences in the system, it would be embarrassing for me to make mistakes in front of someone I'm trying to trying to train. So I had to say to the guy, well, to the simulator structure, I had to ask what the differences were, what could catch me out. And there were one or two minor ones, but he said basically the technology is the same, and I'll tell you what the speed, they, everything works at different speeds. So I'll tell you what those are. And, okay, then let's go. And um,
0: I was and impressed I, I, with that.
1: I did it many times after that. There's a, a couple of times when I got when I got the rollout wrong because uh, on a big airplane uh, you 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 flare at about forty feet, and in in the uh, in the three twenty you flare at twenty feet, and uh, we had a couple of hard landings. But uh, once I got that sorted out, but that's what we do in the simulator. anyway, when we change aircraft types, that's pretty much what we're doing: learning how to land it. Mm. So that's the only thing you'll take home with you is how well we landed it. No one remembers what the takeoff is like or what the cruise is like. It's basically what was the landing like. And yes. uh, we do a lot of that in simulators, get the landing
0: right. Yeah, the thing I always amazed that they've got this massive beast of an aircraft. And then it, And I was always told, you know, a firm landing's a good landing. But there's so many landings that I go in with aircraft and you just barely feel it touch down. You think, how mm. on earth do you do that? I mean, that must be, that's some mad skills, isn't it? <laughs> but it's you
1: know it's time in the seat the more you do it the more you look at all the little things that are going on there that you know the the wind direction the the wind shear how how it's dropping off with height the aircraft in front of you if you're coming in in stream into Heathrow one every two minutes that the aircraft in front will leave all sorts of turbulence behind it Mm. Uh, if you're if you account for that and just give yourself a little bit you know a couple more feet that it tends tends to happen it tends to work for you and i like to think i got it down to a quite a good skill it's typical your your last days flying you think i've just about mastered it (laughs) after about 44 years yeah
0: (laughs) well yes i'm sure you probably mastered it long before that but you you're perfectionist your pilots are notice that so were there any times where you thought that, you, you know, in the commercial aircraft, was there any times where you felt like a bit unsure or about, did you feel like, not, not scared, but do you ever think, crikey, this is a bit, this, I'm a bit worried about this?
1: No, I can I can easily say I didn't. There are times in my previous existence in the Navy when, uh, with a helicopter at sea uh, in, in rough weather and, and having to get it on the back of an aircraft carrier or a small frigate. And I've been there absolutely sweating, thinking, hmm, have I got the skill to do this and I know I had because I think well I don't think there's anyone around here that's got any more with, with mm. you know you, you get up to a certain uh, skill level and you know that you can given the worst weather you'll be able to get it on there but when you're in with the process of doing it in fact I've been there with with waves coming crashing over the, coming out over the cab and I think I'm going to have to throw this away in a minute and, and rethink and then come in again. Uh, or coming in in thick fog, uh, coming in at 40 feet over the sea, uh, hoping you don't run up the back of the ship. But doing all things that in a, in a military environment that you would never do in a commercial environment, because you have to. If, you, if you're if you in the mid-Atlantic coming in to land on the back of a ship, there is only one place you can land, mm-hmm. no matter how how bad the weather is you've got to get on the back of that ship and it does concentrate the mind but it also gives you confidence and certainly with a big aeroplane with with four engines and uh, and everything else that goes with it that there's nothing that i saw in the commercial world that that concerned me at all 40 crosswinds from time to time and i think everyone's like that No one, because you all we get back and you you don't go oh we're scared you go well that was a good one <laughs> because it's <laughs> tested your skill, um, and and that's the nature of the pilot. It's the nature of the way we work and the, and the mindset we have. it's a lot of gamesmanship. It's not us against each other. It's us against air traffic control, or it's us against the weather. But we have the confidence to take it in our stride and and get it done. I've never flown alongside anyone who who I've seen anything other than that that sort of attitude. Yeah,
0: we'll get this done. And I think it's it's very reassuring for people to hear that, and also to know that you know you're working within already predefined limits anyway, aren't you? So that you're you're trained to work within those limits, and if it's outside those limits, then you wouldn't attempt to land within that. And, so, and we
1: all and we all know what those parameters are.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, and if you're there, and it's certainly in a, in a military environment, um, the, the weather could be out of limits. And you think, well, we've got to get the job done. We're operational. Yeah. We've got to get it done. So yeah. we're just going to go and do it, and that's it. Hmm. Uh, with the with the commercial world certainly uh, sitting on on the runway at uh, Tokyo many years ago in with a, a typhoon coming over Ty- the main runway at Tokyo has two wind socks one at either end so there's two indicators of wind and there's a wind vein on them as well and normally it, it, if the wind comes within limits to take off the crosswind limit to take off. And once you start you take off you take off but we had a situation where this one would come in and that will go out mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time we were on the runway that one had gone out so we can't do it now so if they if, we, if they could have just turn one off we could have got airborne but it was because uh, we know what the rules are you can't you can't if that's out you can't, and mm. that's out you can't do it and as soon as we would turn on the air traffic would say would tell us that that one's out and if we if it's there That the wind is out of limits. Well, that puts our license on the line, so we can't do that. So we know what the rules are, so we don't break them. And there's two of us as well, so you can't say, "What do you think?" (laughs) It just doesn't work. (laughs) It's very, it's very cut and tried. Those are the rules, you know. If it's if it's half a knot over, you can't. Simple as that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's really helpful for people. So that's. So I'm aware of the sort of the time. It's been great, you know, listen to you tell these bits stories again so let's do a sort of a wrap-up type stuff then so why shouldn't people be scared of flying in your opinion
1: well flying is just another form of transport Uh, the the one with least hazards on the way there's no other there's no other well the the likelihood of, of, of meeting another one coming the other way as you are with a with a bus Train, car, the likelihood of another airplane meeting you is very, 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 absolutely minimal. The big thing people worry about is turbulence, which is just nothing. It's a storm in a teacup. It, it appears worrying, but it's not. And it is the most convenient and simplest way to get anywhere. It's annoying that airports and security have gone mad and, and really a lot of people are put off just by what they have to go through to get on the airplane but the actual experience on the airplane it is i think as good as any bustle train or car as long as you open your mind to it and go out there to enjoy it and the more you understand it the more you understand what's doing what which is where i come in (laughs) even in layman's terms to understand what's happening it makes the whole thing more enjoyable
0: well very well said I mean, you were brilliant, you still are, and thank you for all those hundreds and thousands of people that you've helped in the past, and and this podcast need, will go on to help some more people. What we
1: need is, another, we never need another course, for. Well, you never know.
0: <laughs> 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 dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that is the plan, but we're just, we're growing slowly and steadily again, and you know, I'm i'm really happy doing what we're doing at the moment the love Fly of the podcast the facebook group it's it's great and it's and it's growing and it's growing in the right way you know it's a nice community that's doing it and, and you giving your time like this will help thousands of people as well so thank you ever so much for all those people that will listen to you and uh, for giving your time up tonight
1: oh you're very welcome and to all those out there you're very welcome <laughs>